Alan did a great job, didn't he? You know what I love about that? Alan gets it, and he's so young. This is like so important. He's saving himself so many problems, so much grief in life, so much dysfunction. I don't know if you understand, but when you're a Christian, like I just talked about with the Lord's Supper, you're on a mission, and, and, and Alan gets His life is about a mission, a mission for Christ. That's going to bring so much more fulfillment, so much more encouragement, so much more blessing, so much more joy in life. And it will for you, just like it does for Alan. And I'm so excited for Alan because he gets it when he's young. You know, this whole Beyond Initiative, by the way, if you want a t-shirt, we got more of them out there if you want one. But the Beyond Initiative is all about a renewal. It's a renewal initiative. I'm hoping to renew you. I'm hoping to renew me, all our staff, all our elders, renew our commitment to the Lord, renew our relationship with the Lord, renew our relationship and our commitment to our mission. We're on a mission from God. That's what I love about Alan's story. It's like he gets it. You know, let's put our vision statement back on the screen. Look at our vision statement. It reads like this. This is the vision of our church. To see communities where people are encouraged and equipped to lead Jesus-centered. That's what I preached about last week. And then this one. Missionally engaged. Next week is relationally healthy. Make sure you get that one. That's going to be good. If you hadn't heard the first one, listen to it online. Missionally engaged is where we're going this week. And this is what I long for for you. This is what you need. Are you missionally engaged in God's church? Missionally engaged in what he has put a call in your life to do? Do you understand? You wouldn't even get the gospel. It wouldn't make sense to you. You would probably not be sitting in the chair you are right now if this didn't happen to you. God's call is on your life. And and you're on a mission. What does that look like? We're going to look today at one of the passages of Scripture which Jesus clarifies all this for us. Like, what mission? How do we do it? What does it look like? I want to pray with you about it right now. Bow with me in prayer. Lord, we're here because you called us. Your call is in so many particular, even mysterious ways that we don't even understand. But somehow you draw us. Jesus said no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. We've been drawn to you. We feel it. We sense it. We hunger for it. We thirst for it. Help us understand it today, Lord. Help us bring it home. Help us communicate with you even through this prayer. There's people here, Lord, that are hurting. People here that are confused. People that have grown up maybe even some great dysfunction in their life. But today could be a life-changing moment for them. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done in Alan's life and so many others in this congregation calling us on your mission to find the fulfillment we were made for. So now, may you call all of us. May we be able to participate in what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, before I came to New Jersey, I lived in Dallas. And I was in graduate school in Dallas. I was in seminary in Dallas. It was a four-year program, you know, four more years after um, getting a bachelor's degree. So it was a a lot of work. And um, so we had a kid when we were down there, too, Lori and I did, so I had to get another job, and I'm working a job, trying to make money, you know, and do all the stuff. um, I had a boss, and this boss was a kick. His name was Larry, and Larry was quite a character. Larry had made a lot of money in New York City. Larry was making a lot of money in, in Dallas, and he was all about making a lot of money. I keep saying that because that was Larry Carver. He was that kind of guy. But he had a slogan he lived by that still sticks with me. 
His slogan was this, nothing beats perseverance. And he had story after story after story up in New York, down in Dallas, in different ways that worked. Now, he was applying it to business. He was applying it to making money. I took that slogan and applied it to life. Applied it to what the Bible teaches me because the Bible says the same thing. Nothing beats perseverance. And if God's called me to himself, nothing beats perseverance. The New Testament teaches that all the way along. Nothing beats perseverance. So the longer I've lived with that statement and, and tried to understand that statement, the more I've realized that's what I'm supposed to do. And that's who I am as a Christian. And, and this started even way before for me because you know, I'd been a Christian Oh, maybe seven or eight years when I went to seminary and then 10 years when I got out. But I mean, 10 years before that is when I became a Christian. When I was 18, when I was 19, I bought a jacket and I put a statement on it because I was on a mission. Let's put it on the screen. This one. I'm 19 years old. Notice all the hair I got. I had a lot of hair then. And all these groups, that was the first time I ever spoke publicly. I got my Jesus jacket on. I want to tell everybody because I became a Christian. I'm on a mission. And now there's a big lake to the left. There's, there's me, because we're in Minnesota, lakes all over, you know. And this is a park. And all these kids have gathered. There's a few hundred of them there. And I'm going to tell them about Jesus. That mission that I became connected to when I was 18, 19, I'm 67. Do you understand? I'm still maybe even more so on that mission than I've ever been. And, you know, even after I leave this church, God gives me the grace to keep going someday. I'll still be on the mission 10, 20 years after this. I mean, like, this is my life. It's not just church. It's not an organization. It has nothing to do with that. I'm not talking to you about church organization. I'm talking to you about your heart, your soul, your life. What's your mission? Do you have something that you live for other than your family, other than your job, other than your life, other than your hopes and dreams, your comfort, your security, your entertainment? Is there something bigger? That's what this whole message is about. Missionally engaged is what we envision when we write our vision statement for you. This is what we want you to have. This is what we all want to have together. I believe God's put a drive in you, a longing in you, and a hunger in you for that. When you were born, and especially when you were born again. And when you don't do it, you suffer the consequences. What are the consequences? Lack of meaning in your life, lack of purpose, lack of fulfillment, discouragement, depression, regret. You feel any of those? You feel any of those? It really has a lot to do with whether you're fulfilling a mission in your life or not, and you see your life that way. Because when you adopt Jesus' mission in your life as a Christian and you seek to fulfill it, that hunger starts to be met. That thirst starts to be met. You start feeling significant, like you're making a difference. You hear stories. You get joy. It's not like you don't ever suffer again. But now you suffer with purpose. You suffer with meaning. I remember when I got the Epstein-Barr virus in 1992 when I was really sick. I came across a book written by Elizabeth Elliot, the famous missionary down with the Aka Indians down in Central America who had her husband murdered. And she wrote a whole book called A Path Through Suffering. I think, well, if anybody understands suffering, this lady probably does, right? So I'm reading the book, and that was her whole book. She says, well, if I didn't have a mission I was on, I would suffer for nothing. You might be sitting here today suffering this, suffering that, and you're... Yet, are you suffering for nothing or are you suffering for something? 
She was saying the whole reason, I, I, the whole way I found a path through my suffering is I found purpose for my suffering, meaning to my suffering, because I'm trying to accomplish something bigger than me and my husband, me, me and being comfortable, me and, and having what I want. It's a mission bigger than me. I've even heard Elizabeth Elliot speak on that. Powerful, because she gets it. She gets it. Do you get it? You're on a mission in your life. God called you to that. In fact, I've tried to put down the big idea of the sermon. I put it like this. Your life was given to you for a mission. Do you see it that way? Whole reason you're here is God lets you be alive. Why does he let you be alive? Because he has a mission for you to accomplish. And he's letting you do that. And when you connect to that, oh, what joy, what satisfaction, what fulfillment you can have. You were born for a mission and born again even for a mission. Born again means God's called you to himself through Jesus Christ to accomplish what he's... There's a passage of scripture at the end of Matthew I want to read with you today and bring that home, that mission idea home to you. You need to understand that. God didn't make you for nothing. As people who believe in evolution think. God didn't call you to himself for nothing as even some Christians seem to live like. Like, well, he just called me so I can enjoy life. Yeah, he wants you to enjoy life, and he wants you to enjoy him, like the Westminster Catechism says. But he called you for more than enjoyment. He called you for a mission. And in fact, I personally believe that's where the enjoyment comes. Look at point one in your outline, and uh, I'll read a passage with you. You have a mission to go for. Look what he says. Let me set the context. Jesus, this is at the end. This is the last few verses of the book of Matthew. Matthew's wrote the whole story about Jesus' life. All that he taught, all the miracles he did, all the demons he cast out. He died on the cross, said he was going to die, said he was going to raise in three days, and he did. Raised from the dead had his ascension with, with you know, we're, we're, we're about ready to have his ascension where he's going to ascend to heaven. And before he does, he says this to the disciples. Ready? Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples, only 11 because Judas betrayed, remember, went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Uh-oh, yep, doubting Thomas. Remember the story? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Here's your mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He's telling these disciples, you have a mission to go for. He's telling us, you have a mission to go for. Let me, let me stand back for a minute and explain this paragraph grammatically. Grammatically, what you have here is only one main verb. The main verb Jesus, the main idea Jesus wanted to give the disciples, wanted to give you is the main verb, the action step, go make disciples. In Greek, it's one word, metheteo. In, in English, it's two, make disciples. So if you miss everything else, don't miss this. You are called by God, like an original disciple, to go make disciples. What's the first question that comes to your mind? How? How 
do I do it? What do, what do you want me to do? He tells them, this main verb, grammatically, is modified by three modifiers or three participles. Go, baptize, teach. That's how I do it? Yeah, you got to go. You got to baptize and you got to teach. I want to explain those to you. Those are modifiers. Modifiers explain, modifiers clarify, modifiers help us understand what the main verb is. Doesn't change the main verb, make disciples, but it helps us understand how to do it. That's the three points of my sermon. The first one is about go. You have a mission to go for. What does that mean, go? Well, he goes on here to explain some things that I think help us understand. Go is the first step. When you go, you're doing something to to fulfill your mission. So I want to ask you a question that might help you clarify this. Here's the question. You ready? The question is this. How do you know if you're going? How do you know if I'm doing this part? Go make disciples. How do you know if you are? You ready for the answer? I got an answer. It's going to clarify everything for you. Ready? Here's how you know. You think of people differently than you used to. Not, not, can you be my friend? Not, um, would it be fun working with you? Not, can we do something together? Not, can I get something from you? No, no, flip that. It's, what can I give them? What do they need? How can I help them? Do they need encouragement? Do they need food? Do they? You're, you're looking at everybody differently if you're a goer. A goer is a person that's looking at people, what can I give them? What can I do? I'm on a mission, and my mission is to change them, help them, lead them to being disciples. So what do they need for that? How can I help them with that? They need food. They need some water. They need, they need a place to live. They need to hear the message. They need some truth. They do mis- misunderstand. What do they need? If you find yourself looking at people like, well, what can I give them? Oh, that's good. That's real good. You're on a mission bigger than you. It's not what you're going to get out of it. It's what they can get out of it from you. You're on a mission if you think of going. You're thinking of going when you're thinking of giving. That's huge. That's clearly what you need to understand. Uh, I guess I, have, I, w- I, was, I don't need to share this, but I will. Um, when I prepare sermons like this one, most of the work's done at my house. Some of it's done in the office over there, but there's too many distractions at the office lots of times. So all my library, all my stuff is in my office upstairs in my house. I've got a whole room set up with books all over the place. I've got a computer there. I can do all my work. I can think. I can pray. It's beautiful. Um, and, and sometimes when I'm preparing messages and I feel like the Lord and I are just talking, you know, and he's telling me what to tell you, I'm on my mission. He's trying to help me know that you need something. And I start thinking, Lord, Lord, what do they need? What, do, what can I give them? How can I help them? What's going to inspire them? It often happens. This often happens. I, I get so emotional. I get overcome. I cry. I, I just weep. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing to even admit it, but it happens to me. I just get awe, and I'm just begging the Lord, Lord, show me, what should I say? Because I know you need something. I know you need encouragement. I know you need challenge. I know you need to learn. What is it, Lord? What what do I got to give them? And I literally weep, because I'm just so distraught sometimes, so much wanting you to have it. 
This is significant for each and every person in this room because what you need to ask yourself is, am I that kind of person? Do I think like that? If you don't think like that, well, you're not going anywhere. You're not going to make much of a difference either because you don't even have the first step, which is what I got to think about other people. I got to think about what they need. If I'm not even thinking about what they need, I won't go anything. I won't do anything for anybody, right? And I get overcome with emotion. Maybe you do too. Just thinking about the world around us, thinking about you. It's where I, when I decide to give my time, my money, and my energy by understanding what, what I'm giving to, that there's a need. You know, I don't know if you understand, but that's kind of like the DNA of this church. We're like that. Ever since we started meeting in my garage almost 40 years ago now, it's like it's all about going. In the early years, we were meeting in our house. We used to go door to door, literally. Evangelism explosion, explain the gospel. Several of the people that first came to our church became believers for us going door to door. Literally, the mayor of Medford now is Chuck Watson. Guess how Chuck Watson became a Christian? Our church going to their door, actually it was his, his in-law's door, and knocking on the door, telling them the gospel, and then they led Chuck to Christ, brought him to church. It's like, wow, whoever thought Chuck, in fact, Chuck says that, who would ever think I would have been the mayor? Of, look what God did. That's just the beginning. We've planted several churches. We have Alpha. We've been doing Alpha 15, 20 years. We've trained 40 other churches in how to do Alpha. We bring people. You bring people. I bring people to Alpha all the time. We've sent missionaries out from our church all over the place. We've got people like um, the Adams uh, in South Africa. You know, Jody and Kathy Adams used to be in this area, had their own business, left their business. Or Ben and Christy Williams, who used to work at Lockheed Martin. They're both engineers, quit their jobs to be missionaries in the Ukraine. The Spinellas years before that, all kinds of people we've sent out as missionaries. There's pastors all over the United States, California, Maryland, Texas, uh, all over the place from our church. We trained them up. Uh, I could name names. It's, just, it's our DNA. This is what we do. We send people go to the, the, the kit the mission we're on. We, we join up with Urban Promise. We join up with Feeding 5,000. The guy that started Feeding 5,000 was from our church. We have the care center where we care for people. See, all these things is our result that of our deciding to go. If we now look at the community different, even when our community had that huge flood. Remember Medford Lakes got all flooded out years ago? Our church became the headquarters for the Red Cross, for, for Home Depot to get supplies to people for the police department. How did that happen? Because we're a church that thinks of going, making, helping people. If you want to be in that kind of church, you're in the right place. If you want to be in that kind of church, you're probably truly a disciple. Someone who's not just thinking about me and what I got or what I'm going to have, but about them. What do they need? How can I help? What can I give them? That means you've decided to go. If you don't have that in your heart, ask the Lord. It's that simple. Lord, put love in my heart for people. Help me think of them and their need. And what gift do I have that I could give to somebody? Because that's my mission as a Christian. Second thing Jesus said, you have a mission to commit to. Look what he says in chapter 28, verse 19 again. He said to these disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to explain all that, but baptizo, the word used there in the original Greek, baptizo means to dip, to immerse. 
And it comes from the, the idea of, of clothing being immersed in a dye to change its color. Baptism is a symbol of commitment, just like the Lord's Supper. You're, you're actually, when you get baptized, you're saying, okay, I am so committed, I'm willing to go public. Let everybody know I am about believing Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. So it symbolizes me going into a place of death, because if they hold me under the water, I'm around. From death to life, my old person's dead, my new person, I stand in Christ. I am now a believer and a follower of Jesus. So Jesus said, I want you to go and look how to meet people's needs and then get them to the place of baptizing them, which means they've come to the place of that kind of commitment. Their commitment is saying, I too am a follower of Jesus. I too am on a mission as a disciple. That's what it means. And Jesus wants to help us understand that's clearly where we need to go. Use this symbol to verify their commitment. Um, if you were to ask me to summarize the New Testament, you know, I've been spending much of my life uh, studying the New Testament. I think I, I think I would put it like this. Um, if we can commit as a people, whether it's the Gospels or especially the Epistles, where all these letters are written to different churches, the Apostle Paul especially seemed to be trying to explain to them, what I want you to be is so committed to the Lord and so committed to each other as a church. By this all men will you know you're my disciples by your love for one another. He says you, that you would literally change the world. That's what the Lord's Supper was all about. That's what baptism is all about. It's a statement of commitment. I'm in, Lord, all the way. I'm in world, look at me, all the way. I'm into following Jesus because I realize that's the mission. That's the purpose of why I exist. That's why I'm breathing air. I got something to do bigger than me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek glory someday and be proud of what God did through me, right? And Jesus is, is challenging his disciples and challenging you and I to do it. This week, you know, I, I have a prayer meeting every Tuesday morning at 6.15 in my office across the parking lot there. Um, with all my elders. And this last Tuesday morning, we're there. One of our elders is uh, Dr. Matt Miller. You know, he's a psychologist, and he teaches at Karen University, and he also uh, has his own private practice, counseling practice. Last Tuesday, he mentioned something to us that was profound. He, he says, guys, I, um, I teach at this Christian university. It's a great school. And um, he says, I had this one class... He says, I'm talking to you, and I I asked the students, how many of you here grew up in a Christian home? You went to church regularly and all that? He says, every student raised his hand. Yep, that's us. Oh, so you're all Christians, right? You're all in. Good, yep. Then he said, I asked this next question, and it blew me away. I said, okay, how many of you guys then, um, tell me when you last had a conversation with your mom, your dad, about not, not just things you could do or not do or uh, rules of the house or things like that or just regular conversations of the day, but you actually had a heart-to-heart where you're talking about your life and your commitments, their life, their commitment. Um, they're sharing with you significant things about their life and what God did or that kind of a thing, a spiritual conversation with your mom, your dad. Now, uh, how many of you have had a conversation like that that you can remember recently in the last few years? Raise your hand. 
I'm being quiet because that's what it was like. Not one raised their hand. And Dr. Miller goes, holy smokes, what's wrong? None of these students have heart-to-heart with their dad or their mom? No wonder they think the Christian life is all rules. That's all they've talked about. They don't get it. It's a heart thing. Baptism, leading people to the place of this commitment, is a heart commitment. You're just going public with it. And they haven't even gone public with their own kids. Where are we going here? He said, I wonder if this would be true in our own church. And I'm like, I'm, I'm hearing this from Matt, and I'm going, wow. i got to tell the people about this. This is amazing. Are we doing this? You know, we're in this big Beyond series. What if you took the little commitment card and said, you know, um, mom and dad are really committed. And, you know, I want you to know about this because this might influence our vacation. It might influence whether we buy another car or not. It might influence a lot of stuff. But we're committed to something bigger than this family, something bigger than you, something bigger than us. We want to make a difference with our life. Can you imagine how valuable that would be to even a 10-year-old boy? Or a 15-year-old? I mean, let's face it, 15-year-olds think about what, what, what? Themselves, you know. <laughs> what a great lesson from them. To, I mean, I'm not saying you have to challenge them to give. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that. You could, though. Might be a good opportunity. But first tell them about your heart, why you're doing what you're doing. And Dr. Miller goes, I can't believe parents aren't talking to their kids. The kid can't even raise his hand and say, oh, yeah, me and my mom or me and my dad. Really? What is going on here? No real feeling, emotional sharing. Remember, he's a psychologist. Heart-to-heart talk. It's just about what are you doing today, where are you going, you can't do that, you can have this, you can't. What? Wow. Now, maybe that was exaggerated by those kids. I don't know. Maybe the parents were trying, the kid wouldn't listen. I don't know. But are you even trying? Are we even making disciples, I guess is what I'm saying, out of our own children? God help us on this one, right? And when Jesus said, go baptize, he's talking about being able to open up your heart, go public with other people about what God is doing in your life. Even your own children or your aunt, your uncle, your brother, your sister, anybody sharing with them heart to heart, working with them, giving to them. Thirdly, wouldn't it be great? I was just thinking of this. I think, wouldn't it be great if like 100% of the people here were like, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm committed. Look at this. Three. You have a mission to train for. In verse 20, right after verse 19, which we just read, he says this. I want you to go further than just going and baptizing. I want you to go to the place of teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Teaching. As didasco in the Greek, and it means to instruct, to develop, or to train. And it's like a training of ourselves so we can train others. It's becoming a lifelong learner, a discoverer of spiritual reality so that I can go on and share with somebody else how they can learn about spiritual reality and they too can be taught in that way. But here's, here's the gospel truth. Here's something you know and I know, we all know it. Whether you're a teacher or you're not a teacher, has nothing to do with this. 
His point is, your life has a message. And you're going to teach from your message whether you like it or not. People are looking. Kids are looking. Your friends are looking. The people in church are looking. The people at work are looking. The people in the neighborhood are looking. Everybody's looking at you. Everybody's learning something from your value system, your attitudes, your commitments. Everybody's learning from you. So he's saying, train yourself. Learn yourself so you can learn. Help others learn. Teach them. Because your your message matters. You have a life message. And it's all about truth. Because, you know, uh, sometimes we in the Christian church get so into testimonies. I'm going to share a testimony with you in just a minute. But testimonies are really important. But it's when the testimony links with truth that it makes significance. Uh, you can share a testimony about a diet you took or uh, a dog you got or a testimony about your, your, your marriage. Or, but it's when tes- the testimony, the, the witnessing meets, meets with truth because truth matters. And Jesus is trying to say that, guys, truth matters. When you learn the truth, pass it on to others. Um, I had people pick up these commitment cards, remember, last week. Hopefully you picked one up. If you didn't pick them up today, try and get one of these commitment cards. A good prayer card to ask yourself, because we're going to be asking people to make pledges or faith promises, whatever you want. And many people in our church already have. But it, it can help you understand your need for commitment. While I was talking with somebody in our church about it, a guy named Jeff. And Jeff said, Marty, uh, I used to be really bad at this. And I didn't do it. I, I came to church for years. I didn't give, you know, a few bucks here and there. No, no big deal. And he says, but God changed me in, over a period of years. And if you would allow me, I would love you to videotape me and, and, and so I could tell everybody. Jeff, you're all in. Absolutely, buddy. Well, well I'm going to have you watch that right now. What's so refreshing about it? is how honest Jeff is. Listen to this story. Jeff Conrad. coming to FAC for about six years and I am very active in the mini church that I absolutely absolutely love and I usher uh, on Sundays when I'm here typically. I had two awesome parents. They uh, raised me in the Lord. They uh, taught me how to do for myself and geez even by age seven I was making my own breakfast and lunch and expected. We were taught to be very hardworking, very uh, very generous and and you do for yourself and don't expect anything and that has uh, the work ethic has certainly helped me quite a lot in my life my father always recessions bad economic times whatever he always had us he always had our back I never worried about money I knew my father had like our family covered and I always wanted to instill that in my family I buy a home in in Marlton stretched a little bit uh, times were a little lean. Some of, we had a lot of empty rooms in the house and those kind of things. And money was always something I just kind of held on to. I was not very generous, did not give a lot of money to the church. I was more interested in uh, savings, money, um, 
I was interested in paying the heating bill and those kind of things, and I can justify this up and down as a dad. I never really looked to the Lord. I never trusted Him. I looked at myself. I looked at, um, you know, the, the job around me, those kind of things, and was very, very focused on that. And along the way, fast forward a couple years, um, always studied the Bible, uh, stories like the widow's might. If you look at somebody, a woman who was deemed unimportant, giving a minuscule amount of money, but Jesus lifted it up because it was all she had. Money didn't govern her and she had nothing. And I always identified a little more with the, the young man that, uh, that knew the scriptures but really didn't give and was rich and, and held on to his money. Not that I was wealthy, but it was just that mindset. I, I followed God, but I never really made him lord of my life in the finance compartment. And I was wondering why I didn't see God really working miracles in my life at times and as things were tight as a provider and I realized I never trusted him and I was reading in my quiet time Malachi 310 one day and it it said um, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse that there may be food in my house test me in this says the Lord God Almighty and see if I will not open floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you want to have room to store Test me in this is what the scripture says. Only time I can ever think where God says test. And I said, boy, I am just failing as a Christian, putting God in all aspects of my life. I need to change this. And I was praying about it. What I decided to do was to, every time I got a raise, give 20 to 25% of it, not 10%. You called this something, what did you call it, the catch-up plan? The catch-up plan, just like, just like the 401k, we have a catch-up plan, those kind of things. This was my catch-up plan. So. Now I'm doing my catch-up plan. And sure enough, you know, you get an annual raise, you get a mid-year raise, maybe a job change, I get a little bump up. And in less than four years, I went from giving whatever was left over and only portions of what was left over to tithing. And it was remarkable. And it was freeing. I would see in ministry, and I may not have the time to support it, but I could support it financially. I want to be a part of it. And it just completely transformed the way I look at money. It's all God's. Everything we have comes from Him. You know, I often just thought that my, my work ethic and providing to the family was a good thing, and of course it is, but I was looking at the wrong person. I was trying to do it on my own. I got some gray hair now. I, I start looking at retirement. Um, my 401k, I'd love to have a little more money in there. Social Security, I could go on and on, but. My hope doesn't come from the S&P 500. It doesn't come from the government and Social Security. That's when I focus horizontally, when I look to God and trust Him and look vertically. It's freeing. I don't worry anymore. He's got this. Just as, as I knew my dad had my back when I was little, and I never had to worry. I'm looking at my, my Heavenly Father and he will never let me down. He never has. I've never missed a meal. My wife can attest to that. Um, I'm just really glad I took those small steps of faith. The only regret I had during that process was I just, I went, I wish I went all in right away, but I didn't. And now God's calling me to go maybe a little more than tithe, and that's something. It's hard for me. I, I don't want to say I'm, I'm a work in progress, and it's something I'm going to have to start stretching a little more because God's, God's blessed me and my family and I want to finish strong in life. I'm Jeff Conrad, and God is at work in my life.
You know, what I love about Jeff is how honest he is, right? He's just like, I didn't do so good. Now I've learned and God's taught me. I hope God does the same with you. Listen to me. You weren't born for nothing. You, you weren't born again for nothing. You have a meaning to your life, a purpose, a mission to fulfill. Jesus just told you what it was. Let me summarize. You're supposed to make disciples. How do I do it, Jesus? Go. Start looking at people differently. Not what you can get. Not if they'll be your friend. Look at them. What can I give that person? What do they need? What do they need in life? How can I help them? Right? Secondly, commit. Just like going public in a baptism, you're saying, how can I commit to, to, to the Lord in this way? We've handed out these little cards. Use this prayer card. Maybe say, I'm sure there's people here who thought, you, you got a twinge of guilt when I start talking about your kids, right? Sit down with them. Say, you know, Mom and Dad, we're into this, and, and we're into church. We believe there's a commitment God's calling us to do, and we're going to do it. Maybe it's at bedtime. Maybe it's at lunchtime. I mean, supper time. I don't know, but sometime where you can talk to them about that. And maybe you can pray, say, you know what? I think we should pray about this as a family. Oh, you guys, how wonderful would that be? I used to do that with my three girls. They're all married with kids of their own now, you know? But praying with them about something that serious, that heartfelt, changes their life. Thirdly, teach. Guess what? You're a teacher, like it or not, your whole life's going to teach. What you give, what you keep, where you go, whether you go to church or not, whether you give money or not, it's, it's all teaching. Your life teaches other people. Jesus said, if we can love one another as he loves us, we can change the world. That love comes through. It's our commitment. Now, let me let you go. I've run out of time. I'll pray with you. Let's pray. Lord, for every person here that's truly a born-again Christian, they are called to make disciples. That heavy burden, Lord, sometimes feels so heavy on us. Do we have to be a missionary? Do we have to be a pastor? Do I have to quit my job? No. I have to look at people differently. So, Lord, help me do that. Help me truly go. Help me look at them like they're in need of something that I could give them. Secondly, help me go public with my commitment. Help me write it down on the card. Help me make a pledge, just like Jeff talked about. Help me be willing to say, okay, Lord, I'll go up. Show me what to go up to. Show me what I need to trust you for in faith, a faith promise. Thirdly, Lord, my life, what I do with it, how I spend my time, my money, my energy are going to show, like it or not. Help me be genuine. Help me not be a hypocritical Pharisee. But to literally be following you so closely, it shows my life is a great teacher. And I pray that for everyone here, Lord, no matter what bad things we've done, what mistakes we've made, help us be like Jeff. Okay, yeah, but now I'm trying to, I'm growing in my relationship with the Lord. And I commit ourselves afresh and new to you, Lord. Renew us, please. And renew through us this whole area for Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.